Okay, we're going to try to speak about uh, many, many of the issues that come up in terms of child care on uh, Shabbos. Uh, and again, it's impossible to talk about every single Shabbos, but we'll try to give some of the Russian prokim in terms of what the, I feel the most common kinds of Shabbos that come up. So, in the process of talking about children, we have to obviously get a little bit of a background to some of the general Malachas issues that are going to come up, and then try to, again, apply them properly in case of, uh, of little children. So let's begin with feeding children. That takes a, a lot of time. So let's try to talk about some of the potential malacha issues that come up when one feeds a young child. So one of the malachas we'll start with is <clears throat> the malacha of tochein. So the Gemara tells us in Masech Shabbos that if a person takes a food and cuts it up into little pieces, that's a potential question of tochein. Now, the Gemara doesn't actually say that according to everybody. There are some who will say the Gemara means something a little bit different. But in Shukhanach, we assume that that's the din. That if you take a fruit, or you take a food or something, a fruit or vegetable or something, and you cut it up into little pieces, so that may be potentially a malacha derais of tochein. So that, of course, always raises a challenge with dealing with children, because uh, rightfully so, if you want to give something to a child to eat, so we don't want to give them a big piece. Chalil, a child shouldn't choke. So we inevitably going to start to cut up the food into little pieces. So how do you get around and you deal with the issue of tochein? So there are two issues that, uh, that come up in terms of this particular application. The Rishonim are uh, not clear as to what that means. I take a piece of food and I cut up into little pieces. Just how little is little. So just in case you're not sure what the answer is, the Sefi Arayim, it's also wasn't sure how big it is. And it kind of leaves us our hands up a little bit that we're not really sure how, uh, how small is small. So that's one thing to keep on the back burner. The second issue that comes up is a Chiddush of the Rashba. The Rashba maintains that the Medva Mamurim is an issue of cutting up things into little pieces that should be a shayla baloch of tochein, that's only if it's not done in the context of, of a meal proper. It's not done right before you eat. But if you do it right before you eat, then it's mutter. You know, the Rashi Pope with such a thing. So why do you allow to turn a light before you start the meal? Like, where, 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 where does that mean? So the Rashi borrowed that model from the baloch of bayra. The Gemara has that concept in the Vayinav and Shabbos, that sometimes if you do bayra and Shabbos, if you do it samach le'achila, so that's not considered to be malacha. There are certain actions that that are um, almost like they can go either way. Either they're called derech malacha or they're called derech achila. And sometimes doing it in the context of right before a meal will label it up in as part of the achila process rather than a malacha kind of a process. Now, that's not an absolute uh, truth. There's, there are other aspects of bayra, the other conditions that have to be met in order for bayra to be motor. But at least one of the factors that's not the bayra is the notion of samach achila because it's called derech achila. So the Rashba borrowed that and said that carries off to Malachis Teichin as well. And therefore, the Rashba held that any time you cut up and chop up anything right before the meal, so that's going to be mutter. So those are the two factors that we have to keep in, in our minds. One is how big, how small this piece is, and number two, the view of the Rashba. So the Mishnabura concludes this whole sugya of Teichin, the cutting up fruits and vegetables, with the following uh, kind of a compromise. The Mishnabura says, that although the Rashba says it, and although the Ramah quotes the Rashba halacha, not everybody agrees. Rabbi Shem will disagree with this Rashba. And therefore, the Mishabur says that we shouldn't rely on the Rashba outright. We shouldn't take the attitude that, that as long as it's right before the Suda, everything's hunky dory, you can do whatever you please. Says the Mishabur, we should try to do is as follows try that if you're doing it right before the Suda, try not to make it into two small pieces. Try to keep the pieces a little bit bigger than uh, maybe you would like to make. And then. We're not even sure that would be called toichen anyway. So as long as you're uh, trying to get the pieces fairly large, you don't want to be big, big pieces, but a little bit bigger than usual, and you're doing it right before the Suda, so then the Mishnah is willing to look the other way. Then he says it's not a concern of toichen. The other post who are willing to make a legamri, some of the Suda, 
That's what the Ramos seems to say. That's what Hashukim says. That whatever is done right before the meal, so that would be okay. So, if one wants to feed a child uh, a small piece of food, so I would definitely say that the most important factor to keep in mind is right before the meal. That should be the governing uh, you know, principle. It should be uttered right before the meal. What does it mean right before the meal? Whatever right before the meal means for his bona purposes. So Ramosha writes that he thinks that right before the meal means it's the last thing that's done before eating. Let's say, for example, you say davening's over and you want to wants to take a walk. So you're going to start to cut up the fruits and vegetables before you take the walk. That's too early, says Ramosha. Wait till the walk's over, and now you came home. You know, if you don't have to look at the stopwatch, you came home. Everyone's taking off their coats. Everyone's sitting down. They're ready for the meal. So the usually the, the wife is making the list, uh, finishing touches on the food. At that point, you can start to cut the cut up the fruits and vegetables into fairly uh, small pieces. So again, if you want to follow the Mishnabu, you try to keep the pieces a little bit bigger. According to other posts, you can make them even if they're very very small. Uh, for children, obviously, you have to earn this on a question. You don't want them to make, uh, you don't want them to be too big, halilas, so you don't want them to be dangerous. So those who want to make them the small pieces would have uh, what to rely on. There is a, a parallel part of this sugya in terms of uh, cutting things up, and that's what if I don't want to cut things into little pieces, but rather I want to, I want to mash them. So I want to take, let's say, a banana, a common shallow for a child, or an avocado or something, and I want to uh, mash it. So is that also considered to be part of the malach of toichein? So here there was a major machlek, is a poiskin, so the Chazanish was the biggest machmer on mashing. The Chazanish thought that mashing is considered to be part of the Malach of Torah, and it's tantamount to cutting up the fruit. And the Chazanish had a Chiddush Godly says that it's even worse than cutting up fruit. He says that when it comes to cutting up fruit, so you can argue cutting up fruit is not an objective act of teichim, and therefore maybe it would depend on if it's done some chasud and some chasud, maybe that Rashba could play a role. When it comes to mashing, says the Chazdesh, that's in the That's the ultimate, that's the protest, that's the model. You can't get a more active Teichen than that. And therefore, argues the Chazdesh, he doesn't even think the Rashba school is going to work for that. So therefore, the Chazdesh concluded that to mash a banana, mash avocado, mash things at Shabbos is chikvayam. It's a shamash, a chiv skila. You can't mash anything, uh, even some of Nothing's going to help in terms of mashing. But then the Chazdesh turns around and says, but you know what? I have an Eitzah. Every problem has a solution, says the Chazanish. I have an answer. How you can mash on Shabbos, Beheter. Do it, Kaliachayad. If you do it with the back of a spoon, if you do it in a Meshulik away, says Kaliachayad, then it's going to be Mutter. So it's very hard to understand that Chazanish, because usually uh, the rule is when you do things Kaliachayad, that usually knocks it down to being a Dirabalan. It very rarely makes it to be Mutter Lechatchila, but every once in a while it does. So once in a blue moon you find the concept that doing something Kaliachayad can actually make a Mutter Lechatchila, Chazanish claims this is one of those. Blue moons. This is one of the exceptions to the, to the rule. So the Chazanish was the biggest machmer when it came to mashing, saying that the mash in a normal way is a chikvah yavitz, it's derais, it's chayv And then he turns around and he says, oh, by the way, it's motos also done, uh, done kaliachayan. So Rabbi Meshach Feinstein disagreed with this Chazanish on both the kudus. Rabbi Meshach writes that he doesn't think that mashing is the problem of teichet altogether, even not sabachosud. Why? He doesn't think that that's called a maishat teichet. Teichet means that I take a. Uh, I take a cucumber, and I cut it up into little, little pieces, I cut it into little, little that's called teichet. Here, it's one cheft of a banana. When you mash a banana, it doesn't become a lot, a little bit. It's not like taking a knife and cutting it up into a little slice of banana. It's a mush. So I transformed a, a whole banana into a mush banana. So a mush banana, that's not teichet. It's the same cheft, so nothing changed. That's the same cheft. So fascinating, how do you view a mushed up banana? So according to the Chazanish, a mashed up banana is the equivalent of a lot, a lot of little pieces. 
It's very fascinating. Love the Shemachlegas. It's a lot of little, little pieces, and therefore it's a shal of Teichin. And according to Ramesh, it wasn't a shal altogether. So Ramesh writes that I don't think the Chazanish's Chumr is correct. But the Ramesh writes that the Chazanish, the Chazanish, in deference to Chazanish, maybe you shouldn't mash bananas. But says Ramesha, but if you want, you can bear, you can mash it with a shinoi. And then Ramesha turns around and says, I don't understand the Chaznish is cooler. He says, I, I think that if the Chaznish is right, that it's also to mash bananas in Torah, then it should be also in the Rabbanon to mash him kiliachayat. So I don't think his school is right. But then Ramesha says, but I don't think that his chumur is right either. So, uh, so therefore, Ramesha says, Ramesha So Ramesha concludes it says, listen, if you ask me my honest opinion, I think you can mash a banana in the normal fashion, not even so much it's not a nice thing altogether, but the Chazanish said it, I'm not going to be making this a skill against the Chazanish, but if you do it like the Chazanish is cool, he's the one who said it's also, he's the one who said it's Botuk. So no matter what, whether you live in Bnei Rech, live in the Lower East Side, at the end of the day, everyone's trying to do the same thing. The Chazanish really believed it, Ramesha didn't really believe it, but he's saying the same thing anyway, that Lamaisa, when you mash a banana, for kids, they should try to do it. To, uh, try to do kill yachayan. So that's what we uh, that's what we tell people to do. So the bottom line is, when you're trying to feed your kids, so if you try to cut a little, uh, you know, a little piece of apple into little pieces or cucumber little pieces, so you should try really, really, uh, if, whatever safe. Try to make it safe size pieces, but if you try to be some chosub, etc. And if you feel you want to mash, so if you want to mash things, try to do it kill uh, yachayan. These dinim of, of teichin only apply to gedulei karka. They don't apply to uh, to food that are not gedulei karka. Say chicken and meat and things like that. So those things you're allowed to cut even to little, little pieces. There's a dimit the rabbanon. You're not allowed to use a clear miyuchet so You shouldn't use like a grinder or something like that. But but if it's not a just using a fork and a knife or something to cut little slice of chicken, so those kinds of things are going to be looked at for a child. So again, those are the basic rules that govern. In terms of tochein, they, they govern in terms of adults, and uh, very often they have applications in terms of children as well. Yes, that's a funny thing. That neither of them seem to be too into the simple part. Uh, but uh, I tell people, the mice not no one's mashing bananas for six hours in advance. That they're always they're always done right before the kid eats it. If someone does it in a way that's not pilachar, yeah, you don't need to be mochad, correct? If someone, yeah, if someone's doing like Ramesha did it, and someone's like Ramesha held his really mutter, enough to, enough to make a fuss about it. Why Ramesha? Okay. Let's move on to another, uh, another malacha that comes up in terms of, uh, fairly often in terms of food preparation for children, and that's the malacha of Lush. So Lisha, the classic Lisha means you take flour, you take water, you make it up to uh, dough together. That's, that's the classic Lush. So the Shaila of Lisha comes up very often in terms of making baby cereal. So you, uh, you take your, uh, your tender baby cereal, you take a little bit out, you mix it with water, you make a little pasty kind of a thing. So all of a sudden, you raise a red flag, that's a chashash of Lisha. So in order to understand whether that is or is not a problem of Lisha, we have to backpedal a little bit in terms of understanding the, the ABCs of Malachas Lisha. So even though it's clear that Lisha is a Malachas Deiraisa, there was a major, major Malachas Atanoi, Malachas Yishayim, Malachas, somewhat unresolved Malachas, as to when exactly is the moment in time that Malach of Lisha is violated, because there are multiple steps in terms of Lisha. There is the, what's called the Sidis Amayim, you, you mix the flour and the, and the water together, you mix the salt and the water together, so that's, that's step number one. And then number two is Gibel, and you start to actually mix it uh, a little bit hard, you start to mix it together, make it into a dough. So there's Machlekes Atanoim, is the Shas Malacha, like Rabbi Yudha Nosi says, the Shas Sidis Amayim, or is it Achigabal, like Rabbi Yudha says. So it's unclear in the Gemara, unclear in the Rishon, what the final word Lamacha should be. What's the difference? When uh, when it is, at the end of the day, if you do both, so you violated the Lisha. 
So the Gemara has a whole sugya about doing lisha kaliachayad. That this may be one of the malachas that if you do kaliachayad, it may actually become mutter. So the only thing is, is that it's obvious that if you want to, want to go down the cool of kaliachayad, so you have to do kaliachayad at the time that the malach is being violated. If I do kaliachayad, and now before I do malach, or now you have to do malach, obviously that's not going to suffice. So now we have to fine tune precisely when is the malacha and find to precisely what kind of machine we're going to do. Since it is unresolved whether the malacha is violated Bishas Asis and I, or it's violated Bishas Gibol, therefore at least Breira we're going to have to do a shinui at both of these times. So now we're looking for what we call a double shinui in the malacha of Lash, and we're going to have to figure out what constitutes a good shinui. Hein Bishas Asis and I, Hein Bishas Gibol. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's another question. Yeah. I was going to say, why not just do it at both times? That's what we're going to do. Okay. So let's see if we can aim. Let's see if we can find a, a shini. So let's talk about the shini of the Siddha Samayim. So the Gemara talks about the shini of the Siddha Samayim. The Gemara says that, that whatever is the normal way of doing the Siddha Samayim, so there are some people, some, some kinds of mixtures that calls for the powder to be put in first and then the liquid to be added. So on Shabbos, you do Benafichu. Some call for the liquid to be put in first and then the powder to be put in afterwards. So you do Benafichu. Whatever the order normally is, you're in six days in a week, so you do the opposite on Shabbos. What if you have something that doesn't have a, uh, a Seydek Kavua? So that becomes a little bit tricky. Is there a possibility of, of, of even making a Shinoi if there's no actual Seydek Kavua? So some folks can say if there's no Seydek Kavua, then uh, checkmate. You can't make it. There is no Shinoi. If there's no, if there's no normal way, then there's no abnormal way, and then everything is also. And others say in the absence of a uh, of a an official say that you know, if you do the liquid first, that's probably the abnormal way. Most most things you would you would put the the powder in first. So what is normal way of making cereal? I would tell me. What does it say in the box? Back of the box. No, I don't remember. I remember from last time we really I don't remember anymore. How do people? Normally, people put the powder and then they add water. In one, that's the normal way of doing it. Yeah, so, so that's what the first can say. So, one who wants to make a uh, the shini of Nisim they would do the other way around. They put the water first, then they add the powder in the afterwards. And what about a shini bishas gibol? How would you do a gibol der shini? So, the Gemara talks about different kinds of shini and bishas gibol. So, uh, one possibility is you mix it. Instead of, instead of mixing with, the, with a spoon or something, you just shake the whole thing up. So that'll do really great. You'll end up with very, very poor uh, consistency of, uh, of uh, baby cereal. So it's probably not going to work too well. Then the Gemara talks about what's called sh- uh, doing a chassis of Erev. Instead of you know, taking it and mamish, mixing it really, really geschmack, so the Gemara talks about doing it in a crisscross kind of emotion. So if you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. So the Chazanish said that if you do that, the only way it's called a, a Shinoi is that every time you do one way, you take your hand out and then do the other way. So this we got to do. It's a little complicated here. Do this, take it out, and go down. Go in. So if you start now, you'll have your surah ready by next uh, Shavuos. So it's going to take you a long time to do it. It's going to be a great shiru, terrible surah, but great, great shiru. So then the person will talk about uh, using your finger. So uh, I always tell people two things. Number one, put on a glove. And number two, don't let your wife see you do it. So whatever, whatever it is, different uh, multiple shinuyim that are available. So again, we have to be machmi here, the chaparain shinuyim in both, because since we're not sure which is the which is the evesim time for uh, of truth, the moment of truth for Elash, therefore we have to try to chaparain some kind of a shinuyim, both bishas number one and shas number two. What about like taking a spoon and flipping it upside down and using the Maybe, maybe that's a shiny. Maybe, maybe I don't know. So then, there's a further question that the person discussed. The one the very end of the Shabbos talks about about two different kinds of uh, of lisha. There's lisha deraisa and there's lisha derabanan. So lisha deraisa is uh, is only violated if it's we call a blila ova. If it's a thick kind of a dough. Those are learning some people learning kids this year. So there are many differences in Allah between thick doughs and thin pourable batters. 
So the Gemara says that the only time that there's a real Lisha de Rais is always a thick kind of a dough. It's just a pourable kind of a batter. So that's a Blilaraka. The Raka is only Yasem and Dirabanim. So there are many places who say that the Mendevam and Murm, that all these funny kulas and all these Shinoyim works, they only work if you're dealing with the Blilaraka. If you're dealing with the Blilaraka, then all bets are off. You can't do any of this. But others say, no, even Blilaraka, you can do these kinds of Shinoyim. So because of all this, the post can recommend that if a person has this great desire to make a baby cereal on Shabbos, you should try to take a few things into consideration. So you try to keep it as rock as possible. So very simply, any more water, you know, a little more water, that'll make it a little bit more rock. So that, that's, the, that's the first thing you should try to do. If it's impossible, the baby's not going to eat it, so then you have to rely on the post will make it even blue of us. But like you should try to do a death blue of and if you're stuck and you have to do a death blue of so then you have to really, really be careful you know, uh, in terms of the Tushinuyim, again, either the, the order has to, the, both the order has to be flipped as well as the gibel has to be flipped. Those who don't have any great necessity to make uh, baby salon shops, it's probably better to uh, avoid it because again, there are a lot of uh, a lot of shadows that do come up in terms of making the baby cereal. And our babies don't eat the cereal that much. You know, how, how much? How, and the kids are ready. Much older. How 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 long are the babies really on this this oatmeal stuff? Three months. Three months. Three months that long. And I remember in my family, so so uh, the kids would start like those rice cereal. These start with. Some of the rice here, they last in that for about a day until you realize it's this kind of kid one year. So they go to Oatmeal for a day or two. And my family would move things, uh, move things along. I remember my, uh, my mother-in-law, Mashal, so she was, uh, she was Yerushalma, she grew up in Yerushalayim, so she, she, she wasn't going to risk this. Uh, she, grew up in, she grew up in Yerushalayim before, before 1948, so you, you get an idea of, like, you know, it was a different world. So uh, I saw one, one, one Shabbos, she was feeding one of my kids, the kids were very funny, she was feeding them some cholent. So she said, yeah, we shall have a rice or Give us fine. Nothing happened. <laughs> I want to give him a big potato. I give him a little bit of children. But, uh, so that kids didn't, didn't last on the rice. It was very well. <laughs> okay, anyway. Yeah. Formula is in Alicia? We'll get to the formula. We'll get to the formula in a minute. Okay? Good. Okay, so we, we, uh, we're two for two. So we got Tariqa, we got down pat. We got uh, a little bit in terms of, uh, in terms of Alicia. Let's move on a little bit to the, the formulas. And the formulas are going to run into potential issues in terms of, uh, of, of Bishel. So the formulas are not a problem of, of Alicia because they ultimately remain as a, as a uh, liquid. So the only time there's a block of Alicia is when I take a liquid, I take a solid, and then it, it forms a type of a, of a solid, either a really, really uh, thick solid, like a little oval, or at least like a pancake, kind of a batter, like at least something. If, let's say, for example, I have a, uh, I have, uh, a cup of milk and I put some chocolate powder into it and I mix it together, so that's Pasha, it's not going to be Lisha because it was, a, it was a liquid. It's a liquid. It used to be a white liquid, now it's a brown liquid. It's the same, same thing. The Chazanish had issues with chocolate milk for a different part. He, he was afraid that, that some of the, the chocolate doesn't mix so well. So it, it clumps together. So, there are, so, so that's, that's a Lisha problem, I think little powdered of, of, of a chocolate, and now I use milk as a binder, and now instead of having powdered chocolate, now I have a big chunky piece of a chocolate on the bottom of my milk, so the Chaznish was, uh, was concerned a little bit about that. So uh, other Pesky Ward has concerned. Uh, again, it, it may depend on the kind of quality of the powder they're using. The Chaznish in the back in the 1940s, I don't think they had Nestle's uh, or Hershey's powder, they probably had uh, some uh, other brand, we'll leave it there, like that. But if you have the higher quality chocolate, it probably doesn't clump together as much. Also, you could argue that 
it could be a shtickle psikoration of the loan. It could be a zdor shem. It's kavit. My betrothal is going to be a clump on the bottom. And even if there is, it's a psikoration of nichle. I don't really want the clumps on the bottom. So remember, I was once giving the shear in, uh, it must have been Stern. Years ago, I used to give up a shabashu one night a week in Stern. So I, I quoted this chazanish. And I, I said that nobody really wants the clump of chocolate on the bottom. It's a joke. So one, one girl raised their head and said, no, 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 we, we like it. It's good. The chocolate is good. It's like a, it's okay. You want chocolate bars. You want something like the chocolate clump. I have to be careful when I, those years when I used to give Shurman and Stearns, I found out some fascinating things. I said, I was, I was once giving a shear about the Hilchas Muktzah, and I mentioned that, that pasta is, uh, raw pasta is Muktzah and Shabbos, it's not really achila. You can't move it, you can't use it, you can't cook it, so it's not really anything. It's like junk, so it's a Muktzah Mamash on, on Shabbos. You have to be careful if you have a box of pasta in the closet blocking a sewer, you can't move it. Even even Lutzar it's Muktzah Mamash. It's only a lot of Lutzar Mokaymo, not Muktzah Mamash. So um, one of the girls very timidly raised a hand and she said, no, well, I sometimes eat, I eat raw pasta, so maybe it is raw lechila. So I said, really, when do you eat raw pasta? She said, during finals, you know, we get, you know, anything goes. So, you know, we get nervous at night, you know, two o'clock in the morning, we eat raw pasta. So I said, it's a joke. So I asked the girls, I said, I said, anyone else here eats raw pasta? So I had a class, like 50 girls, like 40 hands went up. And I said, yeah, we eat raw pasta. Also. So I told them the story of Mashiach the next day. So all the guys started like all the guys started to laugh. was eating raw pasta. So I stopped them at the time. I, st- I told the guys they have to stop laughing. I said, "Why? Because there had just been a study that just come out, like in the commentator, like the week before, about the ratio of why you guys are married Stern girls. Like ninety-five percent of shaduchim were into between why you and Stern." So I told my guys, I said. According to the study, there's like a 90% chance that your wife is going to be eating more pasta. <laughs> you're going to be laughing. That's not going to add to your shalbaya. So just keep your head. Anyway, so... You eat more pasta? Who eats more pasta? <laughs> Who here makes chocolate milk and looks for the kishmak a chunk of the chocolate bottle? It's the same guy, it's the Shittasim, okay? So you guys shouldn't be making chocolate book on Shabbos. But for the rest of the normal uh, civilization, that there's other ways of uh, devouring chocolate, so, so uh, the idea being is that when, it, when it's just a liquid, a liquid with some powder in it, let's say, Marshall, you, you mix uh, instant coffee or something, figure out the visual issues, you mix it with the coffee, now you have a cup of coffee with some powder in it, that, that, a cup of you know, hot water with powder in it, that's not considered to be Alicia. But there are issues that, that uh, begin to be raised in terms of visual, maybe visual issues in terms of, uh, in terms of making formula. So how do you uh, make formula? So uh, what is formula? Formula is powdered of some milk and a bunch of other stuff that's added into it. So uh, we assume that all that stuff was already in this basho. If it wasn't this basho, it probably shouldn't, be, <laughs> probably shouldn't be eating it. So I assume that all that stuff that was in the factory and in, the, you know, it's in this powder has already undergone some kind of purification process along the line, so it's probably all this basho. So the question is, okay, isn't this basho already? Is that a, a concern of a, of a bishal issue? So we all know the famous Mishnah, doesn't actually say it, the Mishnah describes the principle of a bishal acha bishal, that once something is cooked, so then it's not no longer subject to a bishal anymore. The only thing is, is that there was a big machlek yisirishayim. Does that apply only to solid foods, or does that apply also to liquids? So after rishayim held, let's say I have a bowl of soup that was cooked on Friday, but now it's totally cooled down, and I want to recook it on Shabbos. So after rishayim said that's a problem bishul, and other after rishayim said no, there's no bishul. Any bishul bishul even by a davalach. What's the difference? Why would one be machalik? So the svar seems to be that when you have a dry piece of chicken, a dry piece of kugel. 
Once it's cooked, it's already edible. I, I can sit down and eat a piece of chicken that's cold. Like sometimes I'll come home uh, late at night. I want to eat supper. I don't want to be bothered even heating up the chicken. I take it out of the fridge. You, you, you can eat a cold piece of chicken. You eat a cold piece of chicken. What's going to happen to you? A cold bowl. Don't sit down and have a cold bowl of chicken soup. So when, when you have a, a double lock, so the bishel is almost like this bottle. When it, when it cools down, the bishel is always bishel. Because the double it retains its bishel property even after it's cold. That seems to be what this far is. So it's a somewhat of an unresolved question what the answer to this question is. The Shulchan Aruch is more machmer, and he holds it. It seems to say, Adin, that yesh b'lashnach v'shu and the malach. And the Ramah is makel that most probably the Ramah meant that Mikra Adin is probably no b'shlach v'shu and the malach. But the Ramah throws in a curveball. He says, if, it, if it's not in the gamre, if it's totally cooled down, so then we should be chayshish. That we shouldn't, uh, so if we have soup that's totally cooled down, so any room temperature, then you shouldn't uh, be remavashal. Then it's chashash. Maybe, maybe there's a shalav yesh b'shlach v'shu. So that's what Ashkenazim followed that Pshar of the Ramah. That if it's still warm, it's okay. If it's really cold, it's, it's a problem. So then there's a further about what if you have like a powder or something that gets dissolved inside of a liquid. Is that treated like a liquid or is that treated like a solid? Let's say I take like, like instant, the part of the shot of instant coffee. So let's say I take instant coffee and I want to mix the instant, assuming the instant coffee was nisbasho. Not all the coffee was this bashel, but assuming that it was. Let's assume like, that the coffee is this bashel, and now I, I mix it together with hot water. So is that tantamount to be ring mevashel a solid, or is that tantamount to be being mevashel a liquid? So on the one hand, it's a solid when it's in the jar, and the other hand, it becomes a liquid right away as soon as it hits into the water. So that was a further machlekes nechwan. How, how do you judge that? So if you machmer that shaila, so then you have to start to make a cheshbin, what are we going to do about heating up the, the formula? So I want to take the powder and heat it with it and mix it up with hot water. So maybe there's a bishul shaila. If you machmer it, it's two chumras. You know, I'll give you a One is, is a chumra of yesh bishlach bishmud davalach. Number two is to treat this as a davalach. So how do you avoid this problem? So the Mishnabur writes that the way to avoid this problem is as follows. That uh, <clears throat> the Gemara says in the third part of Shabbos that cliche ni ain't of avashel. That real amikra din, if you cook something in a klisheni, klisheni means that it was never on the fire. The contents that were on the fire were emptied into this bowl. So a pot of water is a klisha. Even if I take it off the fire, it's still called a klisha. If I take that pot of water and I empty its contents into a bowl, that's called a klisheni. So the Gemara says, Pemol, a klisheni, there's no bishop in the klisheni. So the problem is, is that, <clears throat> is that a lot of Rishon, for different reasons, start to chisel away at that, that did. So Taisus writes that maybe all the Gemara meant is cliche name of Asher Menter. Maybe there is a problem. And then the Seferim comes back to us and he says that maybe if it's Kali Abishal, if it's an easily kind of cooked food, so then maybe this Bishal even a cliche he makes it. So in the end of us at a Shabbos, so we're not sure what easily cooked, not easily cooked. So all of a sudden, when the time you get to Shukhanarach, even though the Gemara says the fair, she'll not cook in klisheni. The time we get the shulchanah for a variety of reasons is not so simple. We we, we refrain from cooking in klisheni. The stuff like the rice, the chumras, the rabbanon, lemaisa. We don't take raw food to cook klisheni. That's like out of the question. A klishlishi was the machlek in some poskim. said klishlishi everything's butter, and others disagree with that. So there was a silly song that was put out called "Ain't No Bishul in a Klishlishi," which is first of all it's wrong halach anyway. It misquotes your mice. A lot, a lot of whatever. A lot, a lot, of problems with the song. But but in a klisheni, we we take a little bit of a hesitant attitude towards that. In our heart and soul, we probably don't really think there's bishul in it, but Lamai said we don't cook it in. 
So the Mishabur writes that, what if I want to take something that, anyway, is very, very questionable whether there's any Bishul. It's a Dovah should it's not on the Gamre. I want to reheat it in a Klisheni. So the Mishabur says, to take the Chumras of everything. You, know, you want to take one chumrah here, there, a chumrah, you know, it's one thing. You start to, to pile up chumras and have a chumras and a couple of chumras. Mishabur says that's a Eilat Davasayf. So the Mishabur himself says that even though we're machmir, not the cooking cliches, and we're machmir independently that yesh bishlach, 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 to combine the two chumras together, you're not required to do. And therefore the Mishabur writes that as long as you, you've made the, the liquid into a cliché, then you can throw in whatever you want. Uh, again, anything that was written as bashel would be mutter to, uh, to throw it again. So that's that's the cooler behind the, you know, the, the instant coffee, that kind of stuff. The instant coffee got tricky because some of the instant coffees now have some, some parts of the coffee that was not, not ever cooked. Some of the Starbucks instant coffee it got, got, got labeled it. But, but in the old style, the old days, it used to be that instant coffee was at the government of Klisheni. So the same idea that uh, the postkim said in the last generation about the instant coffee is you can pour milk into, into the instant coffee. Everything was pasteurized. Everything was bashed already. So the same would be true, presumably, concerning the, the formulas, that as long as you take your water and you make it to Klisheni water, then you could, you could put all these powders in because uh, you're not looking to combine all the chumras together. You just have to make sure you have a Klisheni. How do you make sure you have a Klisheni? So you have to be careful not to pour the water onto the powder. If I put the, the powder into the cup and then I start pouring water onto it, that's iroi from a klirishon. That's a big, big machlekes. That's not so posh, that's cliche in any stretch of the imagination. So you really should make sure to pour the water in first and then put the powder in afterwards. So there was a chazanish who, who had a chiddish that he thinks that an urn is such a klirishon that, that not only is the urn a klirishon, but the water in the cup underneath the urn is also a klirishon. Why is that? Says the chazanish, when does something become a cliche that's only when, when I break up the continuity to the fire. Let's say in the old days, that a tea kettle. So I take the tea kettle off the fire, so when I take it off the fire and then I pour it into the cup, so the water in the cup is not mechuber anymore to the source of the flame, that's called a cliché. But let's say I would tilt the tea kettle off, the tea kettle, the tea kettle is still sitting on the fire, and I just tilt it over and pour it into a cup of water, so the Chazmish said the water that's in the cup is part of the, it's all the same water, so it's still mechuber to the flame, so uh, the water in the cup is vital, it's still considered to be a klirisha. That's chadnish is chadish. So according to the chadnish, water in an urn, even the water that comes into a cup is vital klirisha because the urn is on. So when the, when the electric uh, system is, is, is on inside, so the water is heating up, and now when I, when I take the water out of the urn, it comes into the cup. But that's still mechuber to the water, to the urn proper. So according to the chadnish, every water in the urn is still a klirisha. So in order to make it a klirisha, you have to pour it to another cup. So many posts can disagree with the Chazdish. That's the Emmas. Many posts can uh, disagree. So some are machmir for the Chazdish. So again, if you want to, if you want to rely on the ik, ik, or a din, so you can just take water out of the urn, put it into a cup, and then mix your uh, your formula into it. You want to be machmir the Chazdish, so you would do it a second time around. You would switch it to what we, most posts would call klish lishi. According to the Chazdish, it would be necessary to do that second cup in order just to suffice that you made it into klish But again, the ik, or a din, there really wouldn't be uh, too much of a, of a visual issue. This is all assuming that that um, that it was cooked b'chila. So sometimes, let's say you already made your bottle and the, the bottle's cold, you want you want to heat it up or something. So again, as long as you're doing it in cliche needs, so then everything would presumably be okay. What if you're not dealing with with uh, formula? What if you're dealing with milk that, uh, that uh, the mother uh, the mother produced? So very often, we'll talk about this uh, in a moment about all the issues in terms of nursing and pumping on Shabbos. Very often, you'll have. Milk that's natural milk that was never cooked, 
It's been sitting in the freezer for the last six months, and now you want to heat it up, bottle up to give it to the baby. So that that could be a visual issue. It's something that was never cooked altogether. So the answer is it's probably not going to get too much of a visual issue because the odds of that milk becoming Yatsa lettuce bowl are, are not too likely. The last thing you want to do is to make that 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 uh, that milk Yatsa lettuce bowl. So usually what people do is they'll they'll uh, they'll pour the water, you pour the pour the hot water out of the. I wouldn't put this bottle of milk into a pot for many reasons. So you take the water, you pour it into a cliche, and you cliche, whatever it is, and you, and you stick the bottle in. So uh, most probably the water, the, the milk inside, is not going to be anywhere near uh, hot enough to pose any, any, any serious issue in terms of uh, visual. In, ter- in terms of Chazanish, that he says you should add the extra one because the first cup is considered an extension. So for him to have what we would call a cliche, you need a clear, practically a clear feed. Yeah, everything, everything's your one clean behind, right? Except the Chadish himself wasn't sure such things as okay. He himself is a suffix, yeah. whether they even use it. You're always one cup behind, according to right. So one of the major issues that comes up in terms of a baby's eating, that's the issue of the mother's milk itself. So for a woman to actually nurse on Shabbos, that's mother. Even though there's a funny kasha, a lot of the this is kasha, why is it mother to nurse? Why isn't that a problem of, of, of Disha? The Gemara says that if you extract milk from a cow, the Gemara says the favorite in Shabbos, if you chalav is if you milk a cow on Shabbos, that's a malacha de raisa. So it's not 100% clear which malacha that is. According to most Rishon, it's a malacha of Disha. Disha means when I exert pressure on the grain to get the, to, I want to get rid of the outside, the, the kernel part, whatever it is. I want to get rid of the, 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 the bad part. I want to get out the, the kernel, the part that I really want. So exerting the pressure on something to remove the external, that's what the malach of Disha is. So that's what, according to most Rishayim, that's what the malach of Chaylev is. That when I, when I milk a cow, so I'm, I'm exerting pressure, I'm, I'm squeezing out what's inside. The milk is coming out from inside the udder. So that's the malach of, of Disha. That's what the, the Rambam writes. And Adrishon of Benetavah, issues with that, Adrishon of slightly other, other malachas, but according to Ruk, Ruk, the Rishonim, milking a cow is a derais and Shabbos. So the Achorim, yes, Akasha, why is it that when a woman nurses, why isn't that called Disha? So whatever it is, called the Achilas, Eichel, a lot of answers to that question, but Lemaiset, what the bottom line is, Lashemalat, the woman can't nurse on Shabbos, you're allowed to nurse on Shabbos. The problem is, what if the woman cannot nurse on Shabbos? So there's a physical reason why she's not able to nurse. That sometimes happens. Sometimes the woman's not feeling well. Sometimes she may have an infection in that area. It makes it hard for her to nurse. Sometimes uh, the baby's having trouble uh, nursing. Sometimes the baby's sick. The baby's in the hospital. Sometimes the mother's sick. The mother's in the hospital. Sometimes the baby and the mother are not in the same place. So now you have this, this strange phenomenon that we want to provide milk for the baby, but we, uh, the, the actual the little physical act of nursing is not going to take place. So what do you do? So if it would be Tuesday, you'd have a very simple answer. It's called pumping. So the woman pumps out uh, whatever uh, whatever milk, and she feeds it to the uh, puts in some, puts into the bottle. They send the bottle to the hospital. They send whatever it is. Sometimes uh, sometimes again the woman sometimes has an infection in the area. It's hard for the, the baby to latch on. Whatever the case may be, so the simple eights, you put into a milk into a bottle and you feed it to the baby and show it. So here the person says that's a big big problem on Shabbos because that's not called nursing. That's called pumping. That's called that's called milking, not a cow, milking a person. So that's the malacha of Disha. And that's a huge, huge problem. According to most of the that's the malacha of So to pump out the milk and, and not to do a derech nursing, but to pump out the milk in the field to the baby an hour later, that's a very, very serious problem with Shabbos. Now again, if you're talking about a mamish infant that the baby can't eat anything else, doesn't take formula, and the baby's getting halil, something's going to happen, everything's everything's but assuming that's not pikuach nefesh, let's say the baby already sometimes does take formula, some babies sometimes take formula, some babies take nurse, take milk, so it's very often not going to be a real issue of pikuach nefesh, so uh, what do you do? So you say, what do you do? So don't nurse. 
The problem is that if a woman goes for too many hours without extracting the milk, it's going to become very, very painful. And it will also potentially lean down the down to infections also. So it's not an option. It's physically not an option for a woman not to, uh, not to nurse for so many uh, hours. So what's she going to do? So you're not allowed to extract the milk. The baby's in the hospital. The woman's here. Uh, what are we supposed to do? So the only etza is, is you have to do an etza that the, the Rishon already speak about at great length that we do for cows also. Now, nobody should walk away with the conclusion that we're comparing the women to the cows just in terms of this particular product. Somebody like once heard this year, not for me, somebody once a rough told me that he said this year and the, the woman got very, very offended that they were comparing the women just talking about the Malach of Disho, he uses the model, comparing the women to the, to the kernels of wheat also. There's a din in Shukhanah, they grow from the Rishayim, and let's say you have a cow, and uh, the cow's got to produce the milk. If you have a cow that's nursing, that's providing milk, and you're going to say, no, it's off for Shabbos, it's going to be extremely painful for the cow to go 24 hours without, uh, without milking it. So what are you going to do? So all the Rishayim say that we have to do is like this, that the, we're not there, certain things, certain Tzabalichayim's, but not there, Yisurim Drabonim. Not all, it's a little bit of a complicated sort of the other Shabbos. But by and large, many Yisurim Drabonim were not there, but Mokom So Rishayim right, that as long as we can knock down this, this, removing the milk, this pumping the milk out of the cow, into being only a derabonon, so then it's going to be mutter. How do you make a derice into a derabonon? So a few ways. So one way is a goy. That's the easiest way. A goy do. John does instead of yankles. By definition, that's going to be only a derabonon. But you don't always have a goy around. So uh, you know, instead of having the goy do it, feels well, uh, what do you do? So some of the Rishayim said, there's another rate. So if you can't, if it's not feasible, not practical, you can't go in Europe. That was the old minute if you used to do a day goy. But what if it's not shaykh? There's no goy around. So what do you do? So you have to do what's called chalif le'ibur. You have to extract the milk and immediately discard the milk. If you discard the milk, so that's not a malacha deraisa. Why is it not a malacha deraisa? So for two reasons. First of all, it's a malacha she'atrich le'gufa. Generally, when I do a malacha, and the purpose that I'm doing a malacha for is radically different than the way it was practiced in the Mishkan. So that, by definition, is not a malacha deraisa. The example that the Mishkan gives is, is carrying. So carrying the Mishkan, they carried in order to use the chayfas, to use the object. What if a person carries something to remove it? So a person carries a dead body outside because he doesn't want it in the house. A person takes out the garbage. You don't want the garbage to smell up the house. So that's called the Beit Sesameis. That's called Malach Shetzir Gufa. It's Machek Zetanoim. And we pass him, most we should pass him, that's only an Isid Rabbanon. So to over here, when the person is chole, but he's not interested in using the item that he's been chalep, he's trying to remove it. Because the milk is causing pain to the, to the animal, so I'm going to push the milk away to remove the, the pain. That's like pushing the mace out to avoid the bad smell. That's called malach shayatzich al-gufa. And that knocks it down to be a dirabonon. And we're going to be mad to the dirabonon because it's sabah l'chayim. But not everyone agrees to that. Uh, the Ramam holds that Malach Shetzikuv is Deraisa. The Ramam was the one Rishon who passed in the, like the other Tana, that, that's Deraisa. So according to the Ramam, how could you make this into a Derabonim? So there's some Rishon who say that when you chalav the Ibud, it's not even called, not even called Disha Bechlal. The Disha of the Ibud, it's, it's, it's an Etzim of Malach itself. Sometimes Tzorech is something which is tangential to Malach. Very often, if you do Malach Shalom Tzorech, so you did the malacha, but there's a quirk. It wasn't the, the, the mishkan, so therefore it's malacha shetzir gufa. You're going to be potter. There are certain malachas that even the tanoim will say malacha shetzir gufa is chayev. Will concede that if you did it shalom tzorech, so it's not called the malacha. The tzorech defines the very essence of the malacha. The taisa is such a svar in a few places. But you can have certain malachas that the lack of a tzorech is, is, is felt as a chisarin. It's deficient in the etzim of malacha. 
So it's very possible that that's what's going on here also. That's what some Mishnah say that you're allowed to be even even according to the Rambam because that's just not malacha. That's not the tzuras malacha of, of Disha. So whatever the whatever the lumdus is, whether it's pure malacha, it's the goof, or it's based on something a little bit more. The bottom line is that's what that's what the Rishonim already said. This idea that if you want to if you want to get rid of extra milk for a behema, so you do it uh, in a chav ibud manner. This was a very hot topic in Eretz Yisrael back in the, in the 1920s. So um, when you, you had there were, there were certain kibbutzim or shavim that were from, so they owned a lot of cows and they wanted to figure out how to do the milking on Shabbos. And there was a whole issue about using the Arabs. They didn't want to use the Arabs for, for multiple reasons, both security reasons and cultural reasons, whatever, whatever it was. There was a whole tumble in the post game about how to work out the details. Anyone ever see this on Shabbos? The Khalil I don't know. Anyone look at Kambiyavna? So, so you ever go to kibbutz Yavim to watch it? And so on the kibbutz they have Khalid al Ibn machines that are that are that are set up. So um, the postkim said we can borrow the same idea when it comes to uh, to women. So if a woman is in a lot of pain and the baby is not nursing, so you have to do a kharav ibud. How do you do that exactly? So there was a Chazanish claim that whenever you have ibud, you have to be careful that the ibud happens immediately. This said, you can't do it as follows. You can't collect the milk, hold on to it for five minutes, look around, smile, and then eventually throw it out. That's not called Chavli They said, Chavli means it's got to go right into the garbage. It's got to go like, literally from the, from the cow, from the woman, mamish directly into the garbage. So how are you going to do that? So Chazanish recommended that, he was talking about cows, but it's the same idea. He says you should put some like detergent or something in the bottom of the, of the receptacle, put a little bit of poison in the bottom of the receptacle where the milk is collecting. So that's mamish liba. It's not that the milk was collected, then you're deciding to use it or not to use it. It's, it never collected. It never, it never became anything. It was ruined right away. So those who follow that chazanish will say the same thing, that when a woman says pumping on Shabbos, so usually there's the pump, and then the pump connected by a tube to this uh, like kli that, you know, that stores the milk. So during the week, you would store the milk and put the milk into, into the freezer, whereas, uh, or give it to the baby now, or save it for later, whatever it is. Whereas on Shabbos, you should put some, uh, put a little uh, soap or something in the bottom of the, of the clay, so the milk gets ruined right away. And not everyone agreed that you have to do that. So, yesh for yesh. Some said that's not necessary to do that, because Nish said that you have to mamish, uh, do a, a real bona fide chalif Just make sure if it's not on Shabbos that you don't do that. Make sure you don't end up giving soap to the, to the baby. So, um, that's what the post recommended to do with Mahazat. The problem is, is that this is all true, assuming that you have no electricity problems. If, uh, if you have a hand pump, so there are different kinds of pumps. There are hand pumps and there are electric pumps. So the hand pumps are easier to maneuver on Shabbos. The only thing is that they're, they're a pain in the neck. So people don't like using them. They don't do such a good job. They're, 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 they're the hassle. So uh, most women, let's say, generally, very often a woman, say, a woman works all day. So she's still nursing a baby, but she goes to work from 9 to 5. So what, what's she doing all day? So the terrorist is that she's, she's pumping. So during the day, every three, four hours, she'll stop. She'll go to the bathroom and she'll take out a pump and she'll pump a little bit and save it. And then you usually it'll store it in like, you know, some dry ice or something. And then when she gets home, she'll stick it to the freezer and she'll keep it. She'll give it to the baby in a month from now, whatever, whatever it is. So um, they always tell the women they have to make sure to date it. Because the milk eventually doesn't stay forever, so you, sometimes sometimes women have loads and loads of milk stored up. You want to remember what it's from, so that's usually what they do is they throw it to the freezer and shut. So on, um, it's much easier. The electric pumps are significantly easier. So on Shabbos, either you have to get a hand pump or you have to figure out a kuntz how to do an electric pump. So it's not so easy to do an electric pump. So some some people like to put on Shabbos timers and meisalach and. And okay, it gets it gets uh, gets complicated. So I, I I can't tell you that I'm not I'm not up to date in terms of the models of the of the nursing pumps, but which do work, which obviously clocks don't work. So before you destroy your three or five hundred dollar pump, make sure that it's a uh, it's something that's uh, that's the uh, 
Some try to have a goy, if there's a goyish woman around to put it on for you, and they're different answers. If all else fails, and a woman's really been in a lot of pain, and, and she, she doesn't have any other way of, of pumping, so I think you're allowed to look at the achayad. We'll see as we go on that certain kinds of situations that arise, uh, because if a woman really, really doesn't pump, she's going to get infections, it's going to be a big balagan. So uh, probably if all else fails, she could probably turn, turn the, you know, the, the pump on with the, with, the, with the back of the elbow or something. So uh, probably, yeah, probably figure out an eight time to do that. Okay, anyway, but all of this is all assuming that, you know, we, have, we can play around, the baby has enough milk. So sometimes what I'll tell a woman to do is that if, if try to save up some milk, uh, if you have milk from beforehand, say the woman realizes that the, sometimes the baby doesn't uh, nurse so well, so try to save some milk from before in the freezer instead of having to, to, to use the milk that you, that you pump on shop. All else fails, and the baby has nothing to drink, so what are you going to do? So then you have to just, just uh, do what you got to do. So you have to do what you have to do. Okay. All right, so uh, I think we did enough in terms of the eating. Let's move on to other parts of uh, childcare at Shabbos. So a very common area of childcare is cleaning up the child, cleaning the child goes to the bathroom. So the whole series of different halachas come up in terms of uh, cleaning up babies uh, when they're dirty. So one of the issues is the issue uh, of wipes. So are you allowed to use wipes, uh, baby wipes in Shabbos? What's the issue? It's also a potential halacha of schita. It may or may not be related to the to the milking, depending on what you think about the schitas begadim and schitas peiros and things like that. But there there is a problem in halacha if you have a garment, if you have anything that has water, other liquids absorbed into it, and you squeeze out those liquids, that's a potential red flag in terms of halacha and Shabbos. So what's the din? What's the din in terms of the baby wipes? Is that a problem? So most of the discussion of the baby wipes, Lafini's Daiti boils down to a very serious question. It's how much is really absorbed in the baby wipe, how much is just minachutz. So if the liquid is really, really external to the baby wipe, so that would be okay. If there's something that's absorbed in, that would be a problem. I, I'm not a bulky uh, in, in understanding the intricacies of the physics of the baby wipes. I've heard some Rabbanim have uh, very, very convinced that they're mutter, others are convinced that they're also. So I, I can't, I don't have, an, I'm not a royal cat, I have an opinion per se on this topic. I can tell you that um, in the Sobolovsky home, that they used to rely on the Mekilim. I didn't say I rely on the Mekilim. I said there were people in the Sobolovsky home who used to rely on the Mekilim, the big, big Rabbanim Mekil, on the, on the baby wipes. Remember when one of my kids was born, so uh, I was all excited that, that, um, that, that there was like some from company from New Square came out with a baby spritz instead of a baby wipe for Shabbos. So it was basically, it was the same cook inside that's on the baby wipe, and they made it into a spritz bottle. So you spritz it on the baby, you take a tissue or something and wipe it around. So that's significantly less of any problem. So I was so excited. So I bought like five of these uh, bottles. And uh, my wife used it once, and she said it's not going to, it's great, but it doesn't do the work. She, 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 she wasn't so comfortable with it, so she went back to the Mekilim. So I had all these five Nebuch bottles of baby spritz, so what do you do? So there happened to have been, there was another Rebbe in Yeshiva who had a baby at the same the same, uh, like the same week. So I asked him whether he wanted them. So he said, okay, I'll try them. He never gave them back to me. So uh, I, get, I said, no, keep them, I'm not, not going to use them anymore. So I gave him the five bottles. And um, it's funny because that, that Rebbe, who had the baby at the same time, that baby just had a baby just a couple of months ago, that baby had a baby. So uh, I don't know, it could be they still have the spritzes left over from them. <laughs> so it's really a third generation of a baby spritzes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, getting back to uh, getting back to that story. So those who use the baby wipes rely on the mekilim. Those who don't use the baby wipes, so uh, they rely on the hands. <laughs> that means they the hands and water and like the old, the old, uh, the old stuff. So uh, you, do, you choose your wife will choose what's going to happen. I guarantee you it's not going to be your hands. Okay. 
So the other issues that are involved in terms of cleaning up babies on Shabbos are the issues of, uh, of diapers. So the old diapers used to, most of them used to be the tabs, like the adhesive tabs. So they used to be much, much more of a problem. Most diapers today are, are Velcro, which are significantly less of a problem. Anyone, anyone have kids? Anyone has kids? So are the Pampers still the adhesive tabs? I don't remember. You guys use Pampers? I think they're the only brand that's still left. They're like, they're like, they're like the traditional, you know, the, the old style Pampers, Pampers. So I think they still use the, I think, Huggy switched right? I think I'll, I'll switch to, I don't know. I, I won't test it was the last time we changed the baby. What? What are they? They're, they're Velcro, right? I thought it was a tab, but I've only changed their diapers. Okay. Anyway, I haven't changed that for a while. I mean, I changed my grandchildren's diapers, but not, 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 not as often. <laughs> <laughs> I've done more than three of those, but not, not that many more. But back in the when I changed my own kids' diapers, so uh, I, I don't know exactly what was what. But so the, again, those that are, that are still tabs have a, have a potential problem of typher and kerea. What's the problem? The problem is when when you uh, when you open up the the tab, so that's what's called mafre ben niyaras and hukets. And the rabbi writes that uh, a tolda of the melacha of of a typher is to glue papers together. And the typher of the malacha of Kareya is the rib apart papers that are glued together. So the shadows of typher and Kareya on the, on the glue, the adhesive, that's what it is. It's like a gluish kind of a, of a material. So that's a potential shaila of a typher and Kareya. So when you open up the tab, you're being Kareya. When you close on the baby, you're being typher. When you open it again, it's 30 and Kareya. So you have multiple malachas. So how do you get around these problems? So there's some who wanted to argue that this is not even Medavik Biyaris, that maybe the Ramah was describing something that's mamish stuck together with crazy glue. It's mamish really, really, you know, stuck in a, in a strong way together. This is just so easily, just pull it apart, easy come, easy go. Maybe that's not even Medavik Biyaris. Okay, maybe, maybe that's true, but if you don't want to go down that route, so you have to go down the route of something shaded that, that when it comes to Tefira, to Kareya, so the Malacha doesn't apply if it's uh, Enosho Kayama. Just as we find by Keshe, you make a Keshe Shem Shekhayama, so that's not a, a real malacha. So if you make a, if you do a Tfira Shem Shekhayama, or you, or you rip apart a Tfira Shem Shekhayama, that's not a problem. And even though the Ramaz is, tells people not to rely on that here, there's probably more grounds to be a little bit more makel. So those who want to rely on the issue of Ena Shekhayama, they have a right to do so. The question is, is it really Ena Shekhayama? You're going to ask me, it's not sure. Well, okay, okay. So there are actually four different stages here of Kayama issues. So the first time is you open up the tab, then you close the tab on the clean baby, then you open the tab on the dirty baby, and then when, the, when you take off the tab, when you take it off the, on the, on the dirty baby, you want to re-tab it together and throw it into the garbage. So there are four different moments here. So let's go, let's take it step by step. So babying, this is, this is baby uh, diapering 101, okay? So we're going to start with, I take, the, I take it out of the box, I take it out of the, yeah, the box of, of Pampers, and I'm about to open up the tab. So I'm so proud of myself, because why? Because it's an Ersha Kayama, right? Why is it It's been stuck together for the last 10 years. When they made the box of Pampers 10 years ago, or five years ago, or six months ago, it's been around for so long. Wasn't it Ersha Kayama? So the answer is, there are some Akhwarenim who write that, that anything that was made like for factory, that was made like for public, it wasn't made for a private person, it was made for a sell to a customer. So that's called Dena Shabayama because when they made it, it was Altas to be opened right away. Mr. Pamper doesn't know whether someone's buying it in a day or a week or a month or a year. It's made to be opened that moment's notice. That's also a shtickle, I know, uh, So if you go down that route, so, and you're willing to be making Dena so then the opening of that first 
the first rip would technically be a Kriya on the Dabashen of Shachayamus. Again, it's a double Kula. You have to first be make all that as a Kula of Ereshachayamus, which is two days with Ramah, and then you have to be make all this is also called Ereshachayamus. Then when you, when you do it together, that's a Tfiyah, that's not Kriya, that's Taifer, that's not Ereshachayamus. I guarantee you that Tfiyah is not going to stay up for very long, okay? A few hours at best, and then you have to undo it. So when you open up that Tfiyah, that's also it's a Kriya Shachayamus. But now the shadows, when you redo at the end, when you took a put the last two ties together, so that's a Shiloh. Why is that a Shiloh? Because on the one hand, in terms of time, it's going to last for a long time. It's going to last until this diaper decomposes. So, uh, I don't know, according to uh, recycling rules, it's probably going to take decompose in two billion years from now. So the diaper is going to be around for a long, long time. So that's called Shechayam. On the other hand, I couldn't kill us. So the second that diaper is in the garbage can, I couldn't kill us what happens to that diaper. So that's a big machlaik is a poskim. Is that called kayama? Is that called kayama? So it's physically kayama, but you know, uh, from my vantage, from Lachs Bashev, so to speak, from my vantage point, I don't really care after that point. Maybe that's called Nenesha Kayama. So there is a fascinating riot that was brought to the Shaila. It's a Lomdash Shaila, not Shabbos. It applies to Tfir and to Kosher. It's, it's a general Shaila. Does Kayama depend upon the Mitzvah? So does Kayama depend upon the Machshev Sagabra? So there's one of these, like, Mamish from Left Field riots. Anyone know the riot about Diskin's riot in the Shaila? It's like, if you never heard it, you, never, you would never think of it in your own, I guarantee you. Even if you hear it, you're not going to be sure you've heard it. Here's what Maro Diskin says. He says, there's a Mishnah in Yuma that says that on Yom Kippur, when they finished uh, the Salah also, so they, they would, right before they threw it down, they, they, would, they would tie a, uh, a red string around its, its uh, horn, and then they push it over the cliff. It would turn white, so then they knew there was a symbol that they had, that they had, that they had uh, Kapara, Salvanus. So says the Maro Diskin, what right did they have to tie it? So Shalom Al-Kaisha. The, the Avedis Hayom is Doicha. This, this, this is not a din. It's not a halach you have to tell. It's a minig. They used to have this minig to, to find out whether they, uh, it's a good way to figure out whether they got uh, mechil or not. Says the Maldiskin, you can't do malacha for that. So isn't the tie called the malacha? So he says, no, it's not called malacha. You know why? Because it's in a shokhayama. Why is it in a shokhayama? So he says, because even though it's going to remain tied forever, but it doesn't matter. The minute that it goes over the cliff and it turns white, the minute that uh, that, that, that I get my sin in, that the, the other half, the other thing turns white, you know, the, they left the other, the star, whatever it was. So the minute that, that it turns white, so they don't care anymore about it. So it's a loch batlam. So that's called, is that man, you see from that mishnah, that's called a tefira, that's called a kshir shekayama. So just as it's called the kshir shekayama, it's called a tefira shekayama as well. I can hear somebody arguing with the raya. I could hear somebody saying, what do you mean? As soon as the, the sir goes down the cliff, it's going to hit its head 15,000 times along the way, and the, the, the string is going to rip apart, it's going to get unraveled, and it's ois shokayama. So, uh, again, I can hear somebody disagree with the moral discus ride. So, that's an a, a, uh, open-ended machlekes apayskev about that last tie on the diaper. So, when I tell people like this, you want to be making on, on number two and number three step, those are very, very good grounds to be making what do we make on number four? It's not such a big tzairach. Just Instead of making that last, that last stick together, just wrap it up into a ball, throw it into a bag, don't let your wife see it, and throw it to the garbage, and show it, and get married. So it's probably better to avoid that last if you can. Those will make it. They're relying on the Maril's Salah Zolva Kula. But uh, what about that first one? That first undoing is also is a shtickle Kula Gabi Kula, because it's not enough just to be making on the, on the Tfir Shem Shagam. You have to be making to call that a Tfir Shem Shagam also. So maybe one could try to avoid that first one if you can. How you can do that? How you can avoid that? So if you open up the oh, before Shabbos, the problem is if you open it up, it's going to kill the, the the stickiness. So if you open it and then close, like the seltzer bottle, open it really fast and close it, nothing will happen. If you open it and stick it back together again, right before Shabbos, so that, that then you you will avoid that second half of the kula on the first uh, opening up. So. 
there's such an eitzah. Maybe some poskim had that, that chumrah. That, and most people don't bother doing that, but there are some who are machmah like that. So I remember when my oldest uh, child was born, so that's what I used to do. I used to open up every Friday afternoon, uh, 15 diapers, open, close, open, and then they were leaving. And then, then I didn't say I'd do the diapering. Then my wife, I had the diapering six days a week. My wife did the diapering on Shabbos because she didn't want me to use the spritz bottle, so she uh, she did the diapering on Shabbos. And, and um, so I, I would open them up, open them close. I stopped doing that. It was it was the year right. My, my oldest daughter was still in diapers, and, and and my son was born already. So we had two babies still in diapers, and I think it was a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a, it was Tishrei. It was, it was a three day old. It, it was like it was like three Yom Tovims in a row. It was, I was opening up sixty five diapers on Erev Yantar. It was ridiculous. I said, forget forget the Chumrah Dazu. There was a lot of making from making Anyway. Those are the pre the pre days of the of, of the of the Velcros. So everything we just spoke about applies to band aids also. So even if you don't even if you have your uh, Velcro band aids and Velcro diapers, you still have shallow band aids. That's like, it's better like a chilo to avoid that last. Sometimes you put a diaper, you, you put you put a band aid around your finger on Shabbos, so it's probably better to uh, if you can avoid putting that last one together because then people slip off the band and just throw it to the garbage. It's the same kind of a shayla, whether that's called it in Shachiyam. Those are make Rely on the solar results helps you for that also. Okay, good. Machaper and everything the solar results, even machaper and Yechil Shabbos. Okay, good. Yeah. If you if you attach a bandaid, let's say you have, a, you have your finger cut, so people sometimes will just wrap like a bit like a little crown, and they'll attach the bandaid to the bandaid, and then when they feel better, they'll just yank it off and throw it to the garbage. So, uh, so that says it was a shtikl shachayama, maybe, according to the Nanmar of this. Okay. All right, so now, Baruch Hashem, we have a very, very uh, happy baby. The baby ate, the baby's clean. And what does the baby want to do? Play wants to, the baby wants to play. Wants to know, so we have to keep the baby entertained now. So what shadows come up to keeping our little uh, young child entertained properly? It's always a great place to go is outside for a walk. So that's wonderful, so when you have an Arab. If you don't have an Arab, that's a big, big problem because you can't carry a baby on Shabbos if there's no Arab. There is a machlekes atarah with a chayin nesias atzmai, whether a, uh, if you carry a human being who's able to walk on their own, so do we view that as you're carrying it, or maybe that's so different from the Mishkan. The Mishkan, they carry you know, inanimate objects and carry people and animals that are walking around by themselves. So one Tana says that's called the uh, chayin nesias atzmai. So we pass it like that. The chayin nesias atzmai is not really malach on Shabbos, but it's still also midirabah. It's portable also. So you're not allowed to carry, let's say you want to carry a, a 10-year-old, you're not allowed to carry a, a child, not pick up a child and carry them when there's no Arab. That's still in the Sabbath When it comes to a baby, it's even more chomer because Tyson has two days. What if the baby is not old enough to, to walk? So one day Tyson says, You can't say Chaynas is Atzma. And the other day Tyson says, You can. The baby's eventually going to walk. So you can say Chaynas is Atzma. So, so either it's a problem with the Rabbana, it's a problem with the Raisa. So it's a big, big problem. Bottom line is taking babies when there's no way of, that's a huge problem. Um, it's so funny because we, you know, you guys all grew up in neighborhoods. I don't want to grow up in a you know, fairly decent <coughs> sized Jewish community. Grew up with an Arab. So this whole generation, right, this is right, the second generation, they didn't know anything about carrying. So every once in a while, the Arab has problems. It goes down something. It's a storm. So people ask the most ridiculous shayla. It's It's as like it's like not part of the religion. Carrying shayla. Remember, there was once a there was once a woman who called me one, years ago. The Arab went down to Tinek. A woman called me. She says, can I carry my baby on Shabbos in a, in a pouch? I said, I'm wearing my baby. I'm not carrying my baby. I'm wearing my baby. So you're wearing your dress, you're not wearing your baby. You're carrying your baby. So you can't carry your baby on Shabbos. So you can't push a baby carriage on Shabbos. So there's a big shayla. What about a day going? Can you do it like a day on Yakum? 
So we generally have a rule that a merely Yaakov is mutter under Abonans, but Mokom Mitzvah, Mokom Tzarek, some big, big Tzarek or something. So let's say it's a big Mokom Mitzvah. So you're stuck, you can't get, uh, you can't get to the Suda Shabbos, you're not sure whatever Big Cheshbon is, that you have to rely on a merely Yaakov. So what's the din? So although Me'ikra din, it's probably okay, because it's no different than the other Shavos, uh, you know, it's only, it's only, a, it's only Durabonan for multiple reasons, either because... That's what even it's not kind of that's what's probably the rabbanon because the area that you're in, even though it doesn't have an area, is most probably not rishus ram deraisa for a half dozen different reasons. But uh, there are many communities that have the custom that they don't like having the going and pushing the baby carriers in shops. They consider that to be like a pirtzin for Shabbos. They really shouldn't be doing that. So generally, the answer to this question, I think, it depends on the communities. And room to room, that communities have erevin anyway. The communities that don't have erevin today are usually the far flung out of town communities where. The, the, that's the least of their problems of having uh, going and pushing baby carriages. So, uh, it's very rare that, that there's going to be like a, you know, a pierce, so to speak, in, in Ochel Shabbos. So if you're, often I get the shots that you know, young couples on NTSY Shabbaton in the middle of Wyoming or something, and there's no Erev, and they, they probably can't get the, they stay in one place, the wife can't get to the meal. So, uh, so uh, in those very unique circumstances, so uh, I think one could be makele to have a going uh, push the baby carriage. But that shouldn't be the, the standard. That means you should really try to avoid that. It's not, not the most appropriate thing to do, but if it's real, real serious Baha Mitzvah, and it's not going to be a appearance of the Chil Shabbos of the community, so then uh, probably could then it's okay. But again, one should try to, uh, try to uh, circumvent that if, if one can. So let's say, Baruch Hashem, you have a nice uh, Erev, and you want to take the baby out for a uh, walk, and you want to adjust uh, the hood on the baby carriage. So all of a sudden, adjust it a little bit. Oil. Oil shell. The baby's squinting. The sun's coming in. You want to start pulling the, the hood up. So according to many posts, given that's not considered to be an CSO because the O is basically there. I mean, it's it's connected already. So you just you're just kind of extending uh, a pre-made oil and just opening and closing it. Some uh, some want to compare it to the folding chair. The Gemara says that like a Gemara describes something like a makeshift old-fashioned kind of a folding chair. So the Gemara says that's not called an CSO So many posts, many Rishayim said that who are they now? I mean, open and close something like a contraption, like a baby carriage, that wouldn't be a problem with an oil. Others wanted to argue, no, that the case of the folding chair was only mutter because it wasn't a real oil anyway, because it wasn't really made to protect. So it was a chumr, there are kind of oil. It's something that's really made to protect from the sun, from the rain or something, that would be a shalad oil. So according to the machmirim, you would have to do what's called tosefsa, or oil or right. The Gebrah says the enemies of the Shabbos that if you have an oil or right, it's a temporary kind of an oil, so it's also midirabonim, but if you start it off before Shabbos, if it's already spread out in a tefach, you just want to extend it a little bit, so that meeker then would be okay. So some of Machbet on the baby carriages that they, they'll leave the, the hood open a little bit, or the tefach uh, open a little bit, to enable them to, to extend it. And again, it's, it's a chumr. Not, not everyone agrees to that. So many, many uh, Mikrat then we hold that the baby carriage prop would be okay. Something that could be a potential problem is whether it's not the baby carriage, what's not some other kind of a netting or something. You want to throw some sheet or something on top of the on top of it. That could be more of a problem than the than the hood itself. That could be a shot of it of a, a possible CSO in shops. Couldn't the QM a separate thing with umbrella be part of that? It's already also like so that was the very famous shot about the umbrellas, right? Right. So, so there's um, one could have argued that there's nothing really also about an umbrella in shop is because it, it's basically all there, and you're just opening up. It's, it's not like you're taking a sheet and you're putting a you're building a whole little structure. You're just opening something that's all connected. So the view that is a famous shoe about umbrellas. So the view that describes what umbrellas were like in the 1700s, they weren't exactly like the way our umbrellas were. You were literally, you mamish made the umbrella, came out made the umbrella, you took the pieces, you started to tie it, it gives you a whole description how to make an umbrella on Shabbos. So I was, uh, I remember right after we got married, so we went to a Sturbridge village, it's this place up in Massachusetts, like one of these colonial, you know, kind of, you know, these, you know, uh, they make these, uh, the way people lived two, three hundred years ago. 
So I took my wife there, and there, were, there was an exhibit about the dying wool, and I was very, very interested in it, because I, I wanted to see a little bit about the Malach of today and Shabbos. And then they, were, they showed us like an umbrella from the 1700s, I was fascinated, because I was trying to figure out what the Nebuda was talking about, about the heel of the Prague. This was in Massachusetts, but by the, not such a different kind of an umbrella. So my wife was very embarrassed, and I was uh, asking. I was like the only nerdy guy there, geeky guy, you know, was asking like these silly questions. Can you please explain to me how exactly the guy was? Totally fascinated. So it's interesting. I went back to uh, Sturbridge Village about uh, two, three years ago uh, with my kids, and it's like all the same stuff. But I, I think that the people who are running demonstrations were all the kids or the people who had done it 25 years ago. <laughs> Same umbrella, same uh, same Bible, same same story. Okay, anyway, I'm just getting shouted. I don't want to embarrass my kids. So the uh, I remember at the time that um, the the girls who were like running the show, they're like teenage girls, they're like running all the demonstrations. So they were all dressed right tenua, and they all had the hair covered. So uh, my wife asked them, do they cover the hair inside the house also, or only outside? So she was interested whether they followed the Zohar or whether they followed the Taizik Sufis about there are no men around inside, but he has left here. So she was very fascinated in that. So they weren't as fascinating to give the answer, but she was very fascinated in the question. Okay. We're back to that story. So, uh, oh yeah, umbrellas. So the Yudh describes doing umbrellas, Marsh Nisteraisa. He says, his Cheshvah of umbrellas are the Shiraz Shalderaisa. So the later place can point out that the way our umbrellas are is probably not true. But there's a Midag, Nafutz, just about all, you know. You don't open umbrellas in Shabbos. So the Chazanish writes that even though one could argue that it could be, you could make a case to open an umbrella in Shabbos based on this Cheshbin, he writes, it became like a Midag Yisrael and, and it's, it's a Zilzal Shabbos and a person's, Perez Gedish Chanish says it's a terrible, terrible period to condition the Shabbos to open umbrellas. But, uh, you know, you know push, push comes to Shabbos, probably not Osir, Osir, uh, Osir uh, per se. It's the Chazanish writes. But, but nobody does, the mice, we don't do it. The umbrella's already open. It's also not enough. Yeah, yeah. Part of that meaning was that we don't have we don't we don't have umbrellas and shabbos just don't, don't not a good not a good mix. Okay, it's a chatness. They don't they don't, they don't mix well together. Okay, good. So Raksha, we have the babies going out for its nice uh, walk, and uh, then you bring the baby home, and you're sure that the baby's going to go to sleep, and then the baby's not interested in going to sleep. It wants to play some more, and you're tired, so you want to put it into a baby swing. What a great uh, thing. So uh, what sort of the baby swings? So uh, obviously you can't press the, the button, an electric swing, a battery swing, but what they have these wind-up swings. So can you stick a baby into a swing and then wind up this thing and have it just go back and forth for a few minutes until it falls asleep? So there was a general machlik about all these wind-up things, the wind-up toys, the wind-up devices, everything on Shabbos. There was a shayla, is that called an issue of makam and patish? There's a chayyotim that says that if you have a watch on Shabbos and the watch stopped and you wind it up, make it to this, in the old days, they used to wind up watches. So the Chayyadim says, winding up a stopwatch is a shadow of a Makabatish. So there was some who wanted to say, winding up a toy, winding up a swing is like Makabatish. Others wanted to say, no, that's a watch because the watch is broken. I mean, if a guy says, oh, you give out, the watch stopped. What do I do? Well, I got to wind it. You walk to your house and you see your baby swing's not on. You don't want it to be on. I mean, that, that's the way your baby swings. They're on when the baby's in it. They're all, that's not a That's what's supposed to happen. So when the watch stopped, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to go fix my watch telling me the wrong time. It's a bad thing when the watch is stopped. When the baby swing is stopped, there's nothing bad about it. That's not a broken clay. And there's no matter. There are different opinions about this. So and I was a little weary about this. So I remember my oldest child was, uh, we had a baby swing, so I didn't want to use the baby swing on Shabbos. 
So uh, then we got a we got a battery uh, operator once. I thought, okay, good. So we can, we'll we'll leave it on for four Shabbos. So we'll leave it on uh, for him. The problem is it makes noise. It's called Mashmiya Kol. Makes a lot of noise. And there's a whole another shayla. Let's say if I leave it alarm clock on in Shabbos, there's a whole shayla about that. Other kinds of things that if it makes a noise, it draws attention to malacha being done. So that's a potential shayla. Zilzul Shabbos, machlekis amaray, machlekis b'shem, machlekis b'chavin ramah. So that's a whole other area. So lemaisa, uh, I didn't want to use the wind up with the with the switch with the with the wind up ones. I didn't want to use the battery ones. Lemaisa, b'chashem, my kids survived. They made it without the, without the baby swings in Shabbos. Yeah. You know that. The siblings kids when they would use it there's also an option to just have no sound meaning you shut off the music shut off no it's not just the music the, the, I, I, I thought the thing itself the swing itself makes a racket yeah. I mean it could be that I'm talking 20 over 25 right, years ago yeah it's probably things that they probably moved up to technology in the last 25 years yeah yeah, I mean, we had the old cheap style, you know? Yeah, when I go in, it never makes sense. It's Okay, good. All right, so Baruch Hashem. So we have a very, very happy baby. The baby's fed. It's clean. It's having a good time. You're going out of your mind. But um, what about other kinds of playing and other kind of games? So so here the children, they get a little bit older. It's supposed to be about babies and children. So children also have uh, arrays of different dishes. So generally speaking as follows, in terms of letting our children play different kinds of games on Shabbos, anything that's a real malach involved, so we should not be giving our children, uh, unless they're the teeny babies, they're picking up a little battle. Anything that's really, really muktzah, so the children should not be playing with on Shabbos. Things that are not also, they're just not, a lot of these games are not so shabbos uh, play Monopoly, I don't know, if, I don't know if people still play Monopoly these days. Uh, any of these board games, so these are not really shabbos things, these are not things that, that the Gdolim should be doing. So uh, the child under the age of mitzvah can do these things. All these kinds of activities, playing ball, so until the child turns by mitzvah, they can, uh, I think they can still play ball. So in this neighborhood, they can play ball on shabbos. Once they reach by mitzvah, so then, uh, then the, the game is over. And I, I don't think it's right. They should be, uh, they should be playing ball on shabbos. I remember one of my uh, one of my sons, so his like best friend, was like, like about a year older than him, and they used to play uh, Shabbos was mamish nonstop, like uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then then the, his friend turned by mitzvah year before him. I remember like the Shabbos before his by mitzvah, he said to him, "Okay, you know, this is it, this is our last." I remember like my son it was like he was like his face like dropped, like, like you got to be kidding! I got another year left of this. Like what, what happened? He like, deserted me. <laughs> I don't know. He also grew up. He Okay. Anyway. So, but when I was a kid, so I grew up, there was no Arab in Riverdale until I was about uh, 11, 12 years old. So we didn't play ball. We used to play ball inside, you know, whatever. We didn't play, we didn't play ball outside because it was carrying. But I remember Yantef, man, Yantef from, from, from morning to night. That's all we did. A lot of carrying Yantef. All we did was play. All, all, the, all, the, all the games that we weren't allowed to play every Shabbos. Even though Rosh Hashanah, remember, Dominic was over. We went for lunch by 3 o'clock. We were out there on the... <laughs> It's like punch ball. We didn't play. We had there was a minute that you weren't allowed to play stick ball. Why? You guys don't know what stick ball is. Can I play stick ball? Don't know play stick ball. Yeah, stick ball is like the old. I grew up in an air in apartment building, so there were no, there were no baseball fields really. So yeah, the stick ball means you take an old broomstick and you take a tennis ball and you find some alleyway or something and you. So there was a minute that the stick was mukta. Who made the stick mukta? I don't know. Everyone knew the stick was So you play with punch balls, but remember there was a whole shulchan aruch of playing ball and shaving yonder. It was made up yesh meayim. Like a bunch of kids like decided. So Rosh Hashanah, you're allowed to play. I'm sure you're not. You know, I carry you play. You're kipper punch ball. Yes, stick ball nish. You know, you're not allowed to wear sneakers. You're allowed to wear sneakers. Maybe a machlekes allowed to wear sneakers. There were different sheetas about the. There was no. 
there was no uh, correlation to anything in Allah living or dead, but it was a messiah that we had, what you're allowed to do in shops and Yantif. Back in, in the Fidel, in the end, the air of Cain, things, and we all turned by mitzvah, the game was over. Okay, sure, back to our. Uh, yeah, right, the game was over. We were breaking off playing after <laughs> Okay, but you shouldn't be playing after Rabbits. Okay. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll finish up with the following. Sometimes what happens when uh, the kids are playing a lot of ball or playing a lot of other things, and <laughs> they tend to get hurt. So, oh yeah, yeah, we ran into Ketanim and Chaylim stories. So, um, as a, uh, a general rule, we should use is is that for uh, situations of cholit, depends how serious the cholit is. If it's a cholit she'esh sakana, you better get it taken care of right away. If it's a cholit she'ein sakana, so with children's needs are generally viewed as ein sakana. So uh, little kids, you know, they get coughs and all kind of these kinds of things. So we, we treat them as being a cholit she'ein sakana, and therefore, a merely yachim is always mutter for them. And even if you can't get it going, so doing things kalyachayad is mutter. Probably mikra didn't even do it. The rice is kalyachayad is mutter. That's a shaila. That's why I should have mentioned we talked about the diaper. So, so usually you want to put a cream on the baby. To put a cream on is a shayla malachim amachek. So if you um, if the baby has a diaper rash or something, you can do a kiliachayad. You try not to, try not to rub it in normally. You try to plop it on. Whatever you try to do something kiliachayad. So, so often when you have tzorchiyachola, tzorchiyachotan, so your mindset should be the goyim. Goyim is an option. That's great. If goyim is not an option, then then whatever can be done kaliyachayad for little kids. The kid's twelve and a half years old. He's playing ball. So that's not to get to chodeshim. It's goyim. But little, it's hard to know exactly what age. You know, usually when people ask me, at what age is the kid uh, not a chodeshim anymore? So I usually say it depends on the kid. Is he the kind of kid that every other week is a better pediatrician? There are some kids that every week they're in an ear infection, every week they have strep. You know, those kids are very, very susceptible to getting sick all the time. So the Atsurachim are considered to be like a Chalash Ember Sarkana. Often a child, hopefully nothing should happen to our children, but to us, but some of those kids get hurt and they need stitches. So stitches is a loaded, loaded question on Shabbos. So you have to consult with your Hatzalah uh, people or your uh, doctors and then figure out whether it's uh, necessary to get stitches. So if if the medical professionals tell you that uh, this has to be stitched up, so they'll usually tell you that it has to be stitched up fairly, uh, fairly soon. We don't want clearly anything to get infected. So you have to figure out uh, how to get to the hospital. So uh, either as a goyo takes you or, or an Uber, you have to figure out, again, this is not, we're not really, the topic of today is not really a chaylev, it's more ketanim. So you have to figure out whatever aids you do in terms of getting to the hospital, whatever, again, if it's medically necessary, it's, it's even a far-fetched chashash, so you have to get done, whatever has to get done. But when you're dealing with, with very often with ketanim, you're dealing with not life-threatening, you're dealing with the gonna. So again, the higher up it should be, whatever we don't have to go in matter of manoim, if we can't have to go in, so then the chaliachayah, Maker, then we'd be, uh, we'd be okay. Okay, I think we'll uh, wrap it up here. Let's get you have a good time. Everyone should be well. Don't you get hurt? Okay. You guys want to dab